Today's Bible reading comes from Genesis 37, so if you've got a Bible, you'll find it there. Otherwise, I think it might be on the screen as well. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well, his brothers, sorry, when he told his father as well, his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Jesus arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, 
and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said. In mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his fathers wept for him. Sorry, so his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Thanks, Sarah. Well, uh, we kick off again uh, in Genesis on this story of Joseph. I'm sure that uh, many of us are familiar with Joseph, but this is the first part of the the story uh, about him. Uh, And even though it might be familiar to us, we need God's help to understand his word at all times. So I'm going to pray that we would uh, yeah, know a little bit more of the way that he works in this world uh, through his ancient people, but then also with us uh, in his word here. So let's uh, talk to God. Gracious Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to hear your word and to think about it a little bit more. Please help us by your spirit, the same spirit who inspired these words to be written. Uh, to illumine our hearts and our minds that we might understand more of your ways and love you all the more for it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I had a disturbing dream this week. Uh, a little bit of background before I tell you the dream, though. We have a dog, uh, a little Japanese spitz, a white fluffy thing, uh, now, full disclosure, I wasn't that keen getting a, jo- a dog, but I eventually agreed to getting a dog uh, on the proviso that it stayed outside. And so we got Sasha, that's, that's the dog's name. Uh, and we put her out on the deck and uh, we put a dog run down outside with the plan that when nobody was home, uh, she'd stay in the dog run. Uh, but ever so surreptitiously, my family have been gradually creeping her into the house particularly while I'm not home. And significantly, none of them are here. Yes. Okay. First, she started sleeping in the laundry, indoors. Uh, Then I'd come home to find her wandering about the house, uh, inside the house. And now it's a little bit rainy. uh, She gets to let into the house. And then, three nights ago, I had this dream. I dreamt that I was sitting on our new blue lounge watching TV, and my son, Lockie, uh, he walked by me with a smug look on his face as I realised I was patting Sasha, who was next to me, on our new blue lounge, (laughs) looking up up at me with that, you know, fake smile that dogs do, right? Uh, And then I woke up, I was shocked, absolutely shocked, shocked because I'd never have let Sasha up on the couch with me, let alone uh, on our new blue couch, uh, inside, be patting her, that is not a future I ever want. And neither does Megs. Even Megs, as I told her that dream, she said, no, 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 not on the blue lounge. That's a bad dream. <laughs> that is a bad dream. Like you'd say to a dog who's just pooed in your bed, you know, bad dream. Bad, bad dream. Dreams are bad. Dreams are bad for those who don't want to believe them. <laughs> but even when dreams are about the future... Those who don't believe in them, well, 
They might, they might think it's not just a bad dream, but they'll act, actively resist it, which is where we're going today in uh, chapter 37 of Genesis. Last week in chapter 36, uh, we pause on the big story of God's promises being fulfilled through Jacob, come Israel and his family. Uh, we pause to look at the various genealogies linked in with Jacob's older brother, Esau, which included uh, which are included there in the Bible for us to, to take stock of the fact that God knows and cares for every single person, even by name. He cares for them all. But, but this week we jump back into the big story uh, to see God's promises, his promises to Abraham and then to his son Isaac and then to Isaac's son after him, Jacob, uh, to see them coming more to fulfilment coming to be fulfilled actually through unexpected ways in the person of Joseph, who is Jacob's favourite son, uh, whose dreams turn into a nightmare for everyone. So that's uh, where we're going today. Firstly, uh, to look at God's dream and promises. So the second, we might be dream keepers, no matter what pit we might find ourselves in. So first up, God's dreams and promises. From chapter 12 in Genesis, uh, we've seen God speak and affirm his promises to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Promises to bless them, make them into a great nation, make their name great, uh, make them into a great nation uh, and to see kings uh, come from their family line. Then promises to give them the land of Canaan, the, the promised land, uh, and then promises to bless the, the nations through them. And to that end, we've seen God make great, uh, Jacob great. Uh, he's blessed him with great wealth and respect and a growing family of 12 sons and their families. Uh, Jacob himself has wrestled himself into a mature faith uh, in God, God's renamed him Israel, and God's starting to establish him in the promised land. And so we pick up the story uh, of God working through Israel, working his sovereign plan through Israel's favourite son, Joseph. And Joseph is going to suffer for it. Suffer for his immaturity, as he does, as he dobs on his brothers. Uh, suffer for his dad's favouritism. Uh, with a fancy coat that he gets from him, uh, but particularly suffer for the dreams that God gives him. As we read from uh, verse 5 earlier on, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. All your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. What could it be? And this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Uh, When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, we know that these dreams are from God, because we know the end of the story, don't we? As you read on, Joseph ends up becoming the Prime Minister of Egypt, 
and his brothers and his father, they do end up coming to him and bowing down to him. It seems Joseph is not only Jacob's special son, he's God's special son. But he suffers for it. His brothers hate him so much they want him dead. And it seems that God orchestrates circumstances such that they almost get their wish. Uh, As Israel witlessly sends Joseph to check on his brothers, what, so he can tell tale on them again? Yeah, that's going to end well. Uh, And yet even when it looks like that actually could have been avoided because he can't find them, uh, nonetheless, he just happens to stumble on a guy who just happens to know where they've gone, a man who just happens to have overheard them saying that they were going to Dothan. So in verse 17, Joseph went to his brothers. He found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he'd reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come on, come now, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns or pits and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now, what's fascinating here is it's not so much Joseph himself that his brothers hate. Uh, It's his dreams. Yeah, Come now, let's kill him. Then we'll see what he, what comes of his dreams. They don't like Joseph's dreams. The idea of daddy's young favourite ruling over them, that, that's a threat to them. And so they think that by getting rid of Joseph, they can get rid of his dreams. But we know Joseph's dreams, well, where are they from? They're from God. So it's actually God's plans that's threatening them. It's actually God's plan to keep his promises that's what they hate. But God's going to keep his promises to bless the nations, at least in part, through Israel's son, Joseph. Later, as mentioned earlier, uh, as Prime Minister of Egypt, Joseph is going to be able to provide grain for many, many people from many nations during a terrible famine, including his own family. But at this point, the brothers only see the dream as a threat, and they look to kill him by killing the dreamer. So they throw him in a pit. Uh, Weakly, the oldest, Reuben, he fails to save him and Judah rather coldly sways the rest of the brothers not to kill him but instead sell him off to some uh, passing merchants and then pretend uh, an animal got him which sends their father uh, into a spiral of unending grief. So much grief and trouble and hate and suffering all because of God's dream. A dream to see the nations blessed through him and through his people and through Joseph, who who is something of a of a foreshadowing, a foreshadowing or a Doppler effect, the way that God works. You know how uh, you normally hear uh, an ambulance before you see it, and the closer the siren gets, the higher it sounds, and the further it goes away from you, and the the lower it sounds. Uh, just not just in volume, but in pitch. You know. Like it's shifting notes. It's not actually shifting notes. Well, that's the Doppler effect of waves bunching up closer uh, as it comes towards you and spreading out the further it goes from you. Well, in the same way, Joseph's story is the sound of Jesus approaching. Joseph is one of the first Doppler waves announcing the way God will keep his promises. Perhaps heard at a different pitch, but all to the unmistakable tune of the suffering of his special one. So, like Joseph, Jesus suffers for being the father's favourite. 
suffers the hate of his brothers, the Jews. Suffers being sold for some silver. Suffers for speaking of the dream given him to rule one day. A dream that, unlike Joseph, demands his death, but in the end brings an end to a famine far greater than in Egypt in Joseph's time. A famine of not knowing God. A famine of fearing death. A famine of grasping after false hopes. A famine of a broken relationship with God. Jesus' body is broken like bread on that cross to feed all who are spiritually starving, all who are dead on their feet, to make them alive to God, to know him and to love him. But to get this power and this glory, to bless all others in this way, Jesus goes the way of Joseph, the way of the pit, of rejection, suffering and brokenness. Strangely, a more beautiful way. In uh, Japanese culture, the idea of beauty is connected to sacrifice and death. Uh, This is particularly seen in the uh, Japanese art form called, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but Kintsugi. Yeah? Kintsugi? Asi, is that right? Yep, good. Alright, so kin uh, means gold and tsugi means mend or joining. Uh, So kintsugi is the art of golden mending. And it's linked to uh, passing something on to the next generation. So when an important family tea vessel breaks, for instance, because there are many earthquakes in Japan, uh, often the family of tea masters will hold on to the fragments for several generations and then they'll give the pieces to a lacquer master to mend. But not to fix it like it was never broken, but instead to actually accentuate the break lines with rivulets of gold. And in so doing... It becomes even more beautiful. And in a way, the troubles of God's chosen family here in Genesis, and particularly of Joseph, is the earthquake. To break the vessel of God's dreams, as was Jesus' crucifixion, but only so that those broken pieces might be held together, held on to throughout the story, so that we might see the lacquer master masterfully mend the pieces back together to see him beautifully bless the nations by the Doppler of Joseph announcing Jesus and the beauty of eternal life with him and with God. Now, you might be out there thinking the whole idea of God coming as a man to earth to forgive you by dying and giving you eternal life by rising from the dead, that that just sounds like a fairy tale. A dream. A dream that's just caused trouble in the world. A dream that's divided people and caused them grief But what if it's not because the dream isn't true, but because it's a threat? Like it was to Joseph's uh, brothers, a threat to the status quo, a threat to life lived on our own terms. What if Jesus is the Joseph you hate? Not because his dream of ruling over you isn't going to happen, but because you just don't want it to happen. The fact is, Jesus physically rose from the dead and he said he's coming back again. And now, it's now 2,000 years closer than when he first said that. Don't be threatened by that, please. Don't throw him in the pit of, well, I'll get around to thinking uh, about him later. Don't, don't sell him off for something perishable and plastic so you don't have to deal with him now anymore. 
please see the, the kintsugi beauty of Jesus who rose from the, the dead, still with the marks of his suffering, to beautifully never die again so that you might know the pleasure of loving God and having eternal life and having his promise, that, that glorious dream of eternal life with him. Even now, even now in these broken and breaking lives of ours. Which brings us to the, uh, the second point. As those who see God's promises and dreams for us in Jesus, no matter what pit uh, we might find ourselves in, let's be dream keepers. God's promise, it's like a dream. In Jesus, it's like a dream, a true dream. A dream that, like Joseph, can bring us trouble as we live in these bodies, which are like jars of clay, as the Apostle Paul says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure here is knowing Jesus, knowing that God has graciously uh, made himself known to us in Jesus. And as we believe this, Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? Well, to show that this is all-surpassing all power, the power to know God, that this power is from God, not from us. And because of this, nothing can destroy us. Nothing. As we say, as uh, Paul will say, we may be hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. See, life and people may break us like jars of clay, like Joseph, we might find ourselves in a pit, a pit of sickness, a pit of being rejected, a pit of guilt, of poverty, of misery. But, but knowing Jesus will mean we're never really crushed, never without hope, never really alone. We might be hard-pressed, we might be betrayed and seriously depressed, but we're not destroyed. Because as much as life and people, even people we thought that we could trust, might break us like jars of clay, we have God's dream for us in Jesus, a dream that he gave us, a dream that He that can't be thwarted or destroyed. As Paul says elsewhere, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God will see us through all things. As he did Joseph... Whatever pit we've been thrown in, he works for the good of those who love him. Because like with Joseph, the pit is not the end of the story for us. As we all hold on to God's dream for us in Jesus, we can be sure that no matter what happens, whatever pit we're in now, we might be in now, or how broken we might feel, God is making us into a kintsugi, into the beautiful likeness of his broken, yet risen and glorious son, like him and with him, now and forever in glory. So, how might we best keep this dream alive? Now, then. I really like the idea of a dream catcher. Uh, there are many stories behind their origins and their meaning. Uh, one is of a grandmother watching a spider spin a web above her bed. The grandson sees the spider and uh, tries to kill it, but the grand, the grandmother tells him not to hurt it, so, so he leaves it alone, and the spider thanks the woman and then offers a gift and says this, I will spin a web that hangs between you and the moon 
so that when you dream, it will snare the bad thoughts and keep them from you. Hence the dream catcher. Another tradition is that the, uh, the dream catcher captures good dreams that drip down the feathers uh, onto people sleeping below to give them a bright future. Either way, the, the idea of catching and keeping dreams is a, it's a cool idea. And while dream captures themselves are spiritually useless, God's spun a wonderful web of model prayers for us in his word, the Bible, particularly for those who are in the pit. The pit in the Bible is often used as a metaphor uh, in prayers to describe those uh, the capture the place of powerlessness and suffering whatever that place might be for us. Uh, The pit of sickness, the pit of sadness, the pit of loneliness, the pit of guilt, the pit of slavery, whatever pit that others maybe have cruelly thrown us into, the pit is the place for honest prayer. The place God wants us to be honest with him, to pour our grief and our anger to him. Like in Psalm 88, when the psalmist cries to God, I'm counted among those who go down to the pit, I'm like a man without strength, but I cry to you for help. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? You've taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. And then like Psalm 35, the psalmist asks God for vengeance. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in despair, since they hid their net for me without cause and without cause dug a pit for me. May ruin overtake them by surprise. May their net, the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. The pit, it's the place to hold on to God's dream for us, but to honestly hold on to it in a cry of anguish and even in a cry of vengeance on those who've thrown us into the pit. Because That's the safest place for such a cry. There's no point denying anger and vitriol. There's no point denying if we want our enemies to suffer. God knows our heart, and so it's best to vent to him and leave it with him until we push through to thanksgiving, which is where so many psalms, so many of the prayers in the psalms from the pit land, like Psalm 30. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave... You've spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints. Praise his holy name. The scriptures are full of prayers from the pit, like in Jonah, like in Job, but in the Psalms particularly. They're a web, a web of model prayers spun in the Bible to help us to pray in the pits, to help us hang our own prayers onto by memorising them, by paraphrasing them, or using them to, the, to, to grease the wheels of prayer in our pit stop. So that we might hold on that much more firmly to God's dream for us in Jesus. I wonder, are you in the pits? How are you praying? How are you praying when you're in the pits? See, God has big dreams for us all in Jesus, to know him and to love him now and forever. And so while we might suffer for this dream, 
suffer as we prioritise Jesus over sport or school or travel or renos or any other endeavour our peers and our neighbours fill their lives with, suffer perhaps as others are threatened by our convictions, suffer people excluding us and using us and dismissing us and maligning us or misunderstanding us when we're in the pits, God would have us keep his dream for us in Jesus alive in honest, anguished, even vengeful, to grateful prayer. And I'm going to pray that we would pray like that in the pits. Let's talk to God. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your magnificent dream. The dream that you have promised through your ancient people. The dream that you promised through Jesus and brought to fulfilment in him. That like Joseph, suffering as your special son, suffering in our place, suffering so that we might know the hope of forgiveness from you and the hope of an eternity with you. Father, thank you that because of this dream, no matter where we find ourselves, whatever pit we might be in, that is not the end of the story for us. Help us to cling to that dream, that true dream promised in Jesus and in the pits Cling on to that dream and fan that dream into flames by talking to you honestly in our anguish, in our desire for vengeance and in our gratitude for what Christ has done for us. And we pray this in his precious and wonderful name. Amen.